I think you have to ask you have to ask yourself some serious questions about why you're creating this collab and whether it makes sense or not. Is there a synergy? Is there an audience need? And also, who's driving it? Is it us, the marketeers sit in this room, or is it the media because they're reporting on it, um, or is it the consumer who basically has this thirst and this appetite for new stuff the whole time? Hello and welcome to Performance Marketing Unlocked, the podcast from Performance Marketing World where we crack the code of a new topic each week, from TikTok to ChatGPT to the Metaverse and PPC. In this episode, we will be hearing from Beavertown's Marketing Director, Tom Rainsford, and the founder of PR agency, Here Be Dragons, Paul McEntee. Tom loves a challenger brand. He founded GifGaf in 2009 and in search of a new challenge, he has now taken the position at creative beer brand Beavertown for four years. And joining him in the studio, we have Paul, who founded the Creative Communications Agency and has worked with a range of clients from Disney and Copperberg to Oddbox and, of course, Beavertown. This is Performance Marketing Unlocked. As usual, I am your host, Lucy Shelley, and co-hosting with me today is our news reporter, Joe Arthur. G'day, Lucy. How are you going? Good, thank you. And so, on our Whoa, podcast- whoa, 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 Lucy, hold the phone. I think you forgot to mention our future commerce event coming up. How could I forget? Tell us more, Joe. With pleasure. Well, PMW are hosting our future commerce event in London on the 5th of June, so get your tickets now. Wait, hold on. Tell me more. I want to know all about it. Who's going? What's it all about? Well, it's an unmissable day of content, networking and lesson sharing with leading industry experts on optimising e-commerce with sessions including gaming, affiliates and retail media. You'll be hearing from the likes of ITV, Ocado, ASOS, The Financial Times and more. I need to get my ticket. Well, Lucy, actually, you'll be speaking at the event too, along with the rest of the PMW editorial team. But our listeners, grab them now as they're selling out fast. Well, speaking of e-commerce, Joe, we welcome to the studio today Paul and Tom to unlock creativity in e-commerce. Hi, Paul. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the Unlock Studio. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Good to be here. Almost as good as Tom. (laughs) Good to be here also. Well, do you want to quickly tell our listeners what it is you do and how you guys work together? Yeah, okay. So I'm the marketing director of Beavertown. It's obviously a beer brand. Uh, We make wonderful products, including neck oil. Um, And I look after everything to do with marketing, really. So everything from kind of like core brand identity, purpose, vision, strategy, etc. All the way through media, creative, with, you know, a wonderful team, PR, everything else. And that's where Paul comes in, who's supported us, you know, certainly across my whole tenure from a kind of PR and communication point of view. Yeah, Tom and I have a rich and checkered history oh, um, of working together. <laughs> um, that's what checkered is good, by the way. It means there's drama and yeah, keep it um, exciting. That's what everyone lives for, right? It's a yeah. real client agency relationship, right? Stories, stories, lots <laughs> of stories. <laughs> yeah, like Tom says, we sort of look after the full suite of earned media and dip, dip in a bit of paid to um, Beavertown Brewery. Even before that, in Tom's previous role, him and I worked together. 
um, um, pull, trying to pull off all sorts of crazy stunts, like putting things that fly in the air and, and flying, flying Most drones. Probably get away with them as well. Yeah, you could do a lot more back then. The PR stunt was having a, a purple patch, and regulation and social media and transparency was not what it is now. So you could create instances that captured people's imagination and attention in a way um, which is just not possible these days because of the way that social media works. And we had a lot of fun doing it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we did. Slightly too long gap between that. And we still do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, we've got two very creative organisations in the room with us today, um, but we're going to work out how this translates into performance marketing channels. So what what topic are you bringing to unlock in the studio today? So I guess if we roll it all the way up, we're going to talk about creativity and how you use creativity in multiple channels, particularly bringing the brand to life. Now, if you think about Beavertown, obviously you go into a pub and that's our heartland and you can see us, you can drink us, people steal the glasses, you know, you can take us home, all of those kind of good things. But ultimately you can extend that out across the channel mix into things like e-commerce, which, you know, has been hugely successful for us, particularly during and post-COVID. And that gives you ability to be able to connect with a brand that you couldn't necessarily do in other channels. So really it's about the synergy of how they work and how we drive creativity through those channels. Before we move on to the meat of the podcast, I do actually have to ask, when you mentioned neck oil, how do you come up with names like that? Because I mean, <laughs> like, where, where does that even come from? I've, I always feel with um, like creative beer brands that you can get some great names on there. Yeah, so Nickel, so um, our founder, Logan Plant, um, his granddad um, used to call drinking beer, like loosening your neck. He used mm. to call it neck oil, and that's where it came from. Other products like Gamma Ray or, you know, Sun God or, you know, all the rest of them literally come from Nick, who's our creative director and the wider marketing team and some other people mm. have a very long, very passionate WhatsApp list that pops up every now and again when we need to name a beer and it's kind of like what's the coolest one that we think fits what the type of product is and what the artwork looks like and it's kind of like as simple as that I'm pretty sure other people probably put more strategy and thought and planning and research around it focus um, groups yeah and, and, may, and maybe we should but I think we've kind of got quite a good natural um feeling for what the products you know uh, uh you know should, should be called really and I guess you know something like bones which is a lager we do who doesn't want to go up to a bar and say oh, I have a pint of bones, pint of bones. Crazy, you know, it? it's amazing right so yeah. it's like yeah give us a pint of bones mate so you know that is really important to us to have that kind of down-to-earth naturalness of how to talk about mm -hmm. beer because ultimately it's just beer right but I guess that kind of marries with the branding as well, just that it's it's memorable, it's creative, it's fun. I guess also if you remove yourself from a brand, right, there's the however you respond to the marketing and whatever channel you might interact with that marketing or not, there's also that always that moment which is universal to us all where you arrive at the pub and you're sort of intrigued by what's, what, what, what's there on tap, right? And, you know... If you're of the explorative sort, then you might want to try something you haven't tried before. And names draw you in, graphics draw you in, visuals draw you in. So you're not a, you know, we're not going to name any of those vanilla beer brands because that would be unfair. But you'd much rather, 
you know, try something new today, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's where Beaver Town really stands Me out. personally, the amount of time, I mean, I got here um, from Australia some time ago, but when I first saw uh, the neck oil glass just at a pub, I'm like, what's, <laughs> I want a pint of that one. Yeah. What's that one there, yeah. the colourful glass? And then everyone tells me, oh yeah, and you often nick the glass. I'm like, oh, guilty. All right, I've got one sitting at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm totally. Yeah, you have encouraged a little bit of theft. <laughs> yeah, we, we should have had an amnesty in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with people stealing the glasses, right? Because ultimately, if you look upon it from a marketing perspective, I can't pay to get into your cupboard, right? I can pay to get into your TV, on your phone or whatever. But every morning when you come down to have your glass of water before eating breakfast, as we've previously discussed before we started recording, right? You're reminded of the brand every time, right? Mm. So it's amazing to keep it front of mind. So when you go into the pub, you know, you have that built up kind of grey matter of like, oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah, 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 I remember that, you know, all the rest of it. And ultimately, beer is just like meant to be additive to a good time that you're having anyway, mm-hmm. right? Like brands often seem to think that they should be the centre of everything and that the world pivots around that brand. And if that brand disappeared, the world would crack and, you know, it would be Armageddon, which is obviously just complete nonsense, right? So we are just there to have a good time while you're with your mates or you're watching a band or you're going to sport or whatever it might be, right? We don't need to be centre of attention. We're just there as a, as a bit of a fun friend, you know, in a way. So I think that's where the playfulness of the glasses comes through, right? Which is like, you don't have to have a serious pint glass. Like, why, why would you? It's just meant to be kind of like fun. And I think speaking of, you know, creativity to capture your attention, staring at a stolen pint glass every morning before your glass of water, let's dive into the meat of the podcast now, fellas. Why don't you tell me uh, what has been getting your attention recently? So getting our attention recently has been something that uh, hopefully chimes with you guys too, but um, it's and it's something dear to our hearts, I guess, as, as marketeers, and that is brand collabs. Mm. right and um they're nothing new right they've been around for a while they've existed um for for many years i think um the stan smith adidas collaboration first came about in the 60s but i don't know if you how how you guys feel but it feels like they've just gone on acid in the past 18 months right and they take their cues from fashion and music who've done this really well over the course of history but it seems the consumer brands and certainly the sort of sector that we're living in um, has just gone mental. They've gone berserk on it. And you know, this year already, we've seen stuff like Heinz and Absolute team up, um, which was, you know, well received by some. Fun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can look into the data behind that, whether it made sense <laughs> and there was an audience need or not. But then Nike, Tiffany's earlier this year, and they were Greg's Primark last year, and um, Balenciaga and Lay's, the crisp, crisp. So for me, like, it's it's really sort of, come around full circle a bit moving out of sort of the fashion and music world mainly into consumer brands we've seen loads of it and then you throw ai into the mix and what and what that's what that's doing for creators to to imagine what to the marriage of two brands might look like and um, that's something that's been really getting my attention personally do you think it's gone too far with the brand collaborations like do you think people are like you said it has just blown up in the last 18 months i mean the nike and tiffany one for example System One, when they were talking about it, they said, we didn't really get why, what the collab was about. Like, what are they going to do? Just blue boxes for the shoes? That like, it didn't really make sense to them. So would you say that some people start these collabs for collab's sake? 
Yeah, I think it's a good question about, I think you know, the first question is, does the world need more stuff? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, uh, be there regardless. Yeah, and, and the, <laughs> answer, the answer to that question is no. Yeah. <laughs> but then um, uh, I think you have to ask, you have to ask yourself some serious questions about why you're creating this collab and whether it makes sense or not. Is there a synergy? Is there an audience need? And also who's driving it? Is it us, the marketeers, sit in this room? Or is it the media because they're reporting on it? Um, or is it the consumer who basically has this thirst and this appetite for new stuff the whole time? It's interesting because, I mean, co-branding is something we saw a lot in the Super Bowl this year and Super Bowl ads, and it was sort of the first time where it really took off in such a way. But um, in terms of the, the analysis, uh, yeah, System 1, as Lucy mentioned, a lot of it was just directionless. And I think it's really hard to align two brands if they're not totally married together in terms of industry and, and product to really make an advert that's going to work really well. So it's something that's certainly, as you say, Paul, on acid at the moment. But yeah, I think it needs some tinkering. I think there's, I think there's some interesting layers to it, right? I think ultimately, it need, every, everything marketing does should add some value, right? Otherwise, this is landfill marketing and it's just, it's just noise, <laughs> right? So ain't all marketing, all good marketing and all collaborations should add some value somewhere to someone, right? I think that where we're at at the moment is it's kind of like the most bizarre and the most unexpected equals the best. And I'm not sure that's necessarily the perfect mix, but I do like the idea of Nike and Ben and Jerry's, right? Like it's unexpected, it's playful, you know, Vans and Disney and, and lots of things. I think the last thing is it's often around product, right? And actually it doesn't have to be about product. If you look at the Asda Christmas ad with Elf, right? Mm -hmm. I'd argue Elf, totally relevant, to, I don't know, but totally relevant to, uh, as the consumers, family friendly, Christmas, playful, you know, so actually a collaboration in that sense is really interesting, right? Because it's around creativity and taking culture and putting it with your product, right? Putting it with your thing, in this case, Asda. So I think it depends on, on, on the mix for it, you know, but I think you need to, you need to add some value um, and to Paul's point about it coming from music, you know, it's like you rewind quite far and you get to like Run DMC and Aerosmith, which never should have been put together and were put together. <laughs> and it's played in every pub on a, you know, Friday night at, you know, 10 o'clock or whatever, right? So actually the combination of two unexpected things coming together is powerful, but it has to be done with a point. Otherwise it's just noise, isn't it? You know, and we don't need more noise and we don't need more stuff, so... I completely agree. I mean, I, I like you said, I, I enjoy seeing when two seemingly completely unconnected brands do come together. It's like it's like an allyship in a way. Two different audiences, you know, can also be united through um, one campaign. Well, I, th I think, Tristan, on that point, what's interesting is to my point around brands, you know, believing they're the centre of sort of, you know, the, the universe, <laughs> is people, we're real people, there's real people walking outside, we buy lots of different products for lots of different reasons, right? So actually, just because you're really dedicated or less dedicated to one product doesn't mean you're not going to buy another one, right? So actually buy brands coming together that might have some synergies either for a value or an audience or a joined up purpose, whatever it might be. It makes sense, right? Because we do buy different products for different reasons. So I think 
again, if you can do it in an interesting way that adds value, then I think great. I think it's a know. good way to get attention too. Just especially if there's sort of seems to be no parity between the brands. It certainly for me, it immediately captures my eye and I just want to see how are they trying to pull this co-branding off? Well, it's a PR thing. Isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it, you say that, yeah. And I, was, I was about to say, you know, is that in this yeah. case, is it is it all publicity is good publicity, right? But seeing as we are in a performance media podcast, we'd love to see the numbers, right? For, for absolute in highings, I think these sort of um, these clashing and colliding of brands is definitely interesting. It definitely gets us chattering about it. It, it fills someone a brand's social uh, media feeds and gets the the classes, you know, discussing it, whether it's good or bad. Um, but you know, and and I think that creates a hype bubble, right? It creates a hype bubble, it creates talkability. That 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 sort of um, tra- trans transmits itself across social media. Do people then buy more Heinz product, products as a result, or do people choose Absolute instead of Grey Goose from the supermarket shelves? I don't know. That'd be interesting to know, right? But certainly they are. They have a spike yeah. in conversation, and I think every marketer wants that, right? Moving on to the rating section of the podcast, uh, as marketers love they love their ratings. It's all they look at, and so. We have asked you to bring something that is underrated and something that is overrated in the industry. So shall we, why don't you guys choose which one you'd like to begin with? Should we choose overrated yeah, first? I know there was plenty of umming and ahhing over this, so I'm excited. Yeah, we might check, we might pivot halfway through. So, <laughs> so, so this, is, this is potentially controversial and counterintuitive to us even being in this room. Um, it's not podcasting. <laughs> Performance me. marketing. Overrated. <laughs> like, we're going to cut, but we're going to cut that later. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm doing the edits. <laughs> um, so it's oversharing on social channels. And mainly we're talking from a professional perspective. And I guess what we mean by that is clearly personal brand for lots of entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, marketeer people is important because it gives that authenticity, gives that visibility, et cetera. Um, it's kind of what we're doing in the room with you guys right now, right? <laughs> let's, let's be honest. But I think there's, there's a, what, what I've seen loads of recently is um, an oversharing of, of, your, of personal details into a platform where, which, the, which feels quite jarring. That to me is, is overrated. I think it, I think what's interesting there is the platform itself that people use to do it. So LinkedIn is a great platform. I love it. I use it every day. But it also makes me laugh by the way that people use it. People are such a filtered version of themselves. I think it's interesting. I mean, I think there's kind of a couple of layers to it. I think the first one, I think everyone's identified the power of self-branding right? Mm. And, and the power of yourself. And people want to share stories. And ultimately, that's what society is built on, is sharing stories and talking about things that happened and creating narratives, right? So I think people want to do that. I think what's interesting is, clearly, we as people don't have enough ways to do that. So then we have to find online platforms or whatever to be able to have those conversations. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like maybe there's other avenues that we should be exploring as society or people or whatever to be able to share them that doesn't have to be in such a broadcast way i don't know i mean ultimately clearly sharing is important or otherwise people wouldn't people wouldn't do it none of these platforms would exist right john thornton once said something quite interesting about linkedin though which is because 
LinkedIn, he thinks, is the easiest platform to get any cut through from because it's so bland <laughs> um, and because people are probably using it in this way and it's just full of the same thing. So to get to the top, you only have to be slightly funny to do quite well on the platform. So I, d I wonder whether it's helpful that people are sharing too much because it means if you do if anything that's concise and punchy, you rise to the top or whether it does just muddy the water. I guess it's, I mean, it'd be great to ask someone from LinkedIn in the room, right? Because I think that, that platform's changed loads, right? Yeah. Loads. I think it's not just like, hey, I've just been promoted to senior, da da da. It's now become far more than that as, as you know, personal brands has been actually um, part of your professional armory to to get ahead and get noticed. I guess, I guess it's like, I, I guess that as a platform is probably a mirror of broader stuff, right? Which is like the blurred line between family and business, the blurred line between your personal brand and the brands you work for, the blurred line between political points of view and you personally, you know? Um, and I think it's just a sort of hotbed of all of those things, right? Which is interesting because in a way, relating it slightly back to our world is, you know, that's kind of what pubs are, right? Mm. Like they're kind of a place to go and have a natter with someone you know or someone, you know, mates or mates or whatever, or a place to go and forget about all the social political, you know, nonsense and just, you know, enjoy yourself. So I think, you know, inherently people do want to communicate with each other, share stories, get stuff off their chest. I think, you know, Paul's point is around what's the best way to do that, you know, and I think that's, I and guess the good, the pub. Well, yeah. the good thing is that people aren't bottling up inside, right? Because yeah. that would appear to not be a good thing. So at least people are expressing themselves in different ways. Sometimes on, they should, though, right? On different, <laughs> on different platforms. Anyone that pulls following is now getting slightly attacked. <laughs> I'm going to delete my two-page, 300-word essay about myself um, from yeah, I mean, posting, I mean, to all my network and prospective new clients out there, I value their LinkedIn <laughs> updates dearly, actually, and will continue to share them and comment on them fastidiously. In um, fact, make them longer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a, but um, take the word count out. Yeah, you know, like let's go long form. So that, uh, gents, that's what's overrated. Why don't you tell us what's underrated? Well, we had a conversation around this, and I guess. Uh, you know, relating a little bit to the topic that we're unlocking today, I think the relationship between channels from a marketing or distribution or communication perspective and how they work with each other is somewhat underrated, right? You spend quite a lot of time in the world of marketing focusing on what's happening in media and above the line or below the line or point of sale or your website or a PR campaign, right? You need to orchestrate when a beauty comes together is when it's all orchestrated and it all flows in and out of each other, right? So if we take that down into like an e-commerce or performance perspective and you think about that kind of like adoption or purchase funnel or whatever else, right? Actually having the ability to have all those channels, not necessarily talk about the same things in the same way all the time, because I don't think that that's the right thing to do. But I think having some coherency to what you're trying to do across your channels is where you can really make the difference. And I think sometimes it's underrated to have that beauty of that orchestration. And also like 
it's quite hard to do it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's actually quite hard because you've got lots of people or lots of teams or budgets flying around and da-da-da-da-da. And ultimately, it's just kind of like you get a bit siloed. But actually, how your how those channels work together and how it flows into the wider business and then B2B or B2C or whatever else, I think that is, you know, I think that is often very underrated. So Beavertown has you know, fantastic branding. It's creative, it's fun, the look of it's great. And it lends itself really well into merchandise and e-commerce and things like that. Was that something that was expected, planned in a way? Or did, you know, you realise, oh, people are loving the brand. Let's try merchandising and e-commerce. What was it, what came first? I think, you know, the... What came first was always the beer and the product and the recipes and wanting to make, you know, better, more interesting um, beer, essentially, you know, and, and bucking the traditional status quo of, you know, beer brands that are in the market. But ultimately, the strength of the brand lends itself, you know, to your exact point, to doing merchandise, to selling the glassware, to people wanting to, you know, take the stuff home and buy it and all that kind of stuff, right? Which... In beer, is quite different, right? Because actually there's not many direct channels. It's often through distribution points, be that pubs or grocers, you know, shops, bars, et cetera, et cetera. Actually having that direct approach is quite different in beer. It's not different in fashion. It's not different in mobile and broadband. It's not different in TV. Was that a challenge then, it being different for a beer brand? Or did you approach it just as any other brand would approach starting an e-commerce channel yeah I think so it was very organic and sort of when I joined the the business about three and a half years ago just before covid brilliant time to start uh, to join the business by the way <laughs> yeah. particularly one that's reliant very heavily on pubs which all closed for yeah, a while sure. you know like br- find a different <laughs> brilliant timing Tom well different done you know flow. fancied a new challenge um, didn't quite expect yeah. one like that yeah, but. yeah exactly <laughs> I didn't I didn't foresee the uh, global pandemic, um, which was a shame. You're not alone there. <laughs> so no, no, but it was it was kind of it was a cottage industry. You know, there was one person in in a windowless room putting things in bags and all the rest of it. And then COVID happened, and it just went mad, right? Like literally, we went from one person to ten people in a week, and then that was like twenty people, and you know, and instead of shipping once every three days, we were shipping every day. Um, every single number became a ridiculous plus and plus, you know, day on day, week on week, month on month. And then really using that almost as a, as a, as a catalyst, as a natural catalyst, because of the circumstances that channel just grew. So then it was a case of the plan was always to grow it, but you've got that natural growth. So it's like, right. Okay. Well, how do we try? We knew to be a natural dip when everything opened up, but how do you try and reduce that dip? and put in the structure behind the scenes to be able to serve it and a way to be able to report against it and budget properly and all the rest of it. So literally overnight, we went from one person in the room to an awful lot of people. And now we've you know gone externally to do distribution for it and, and all the rest of it. So it started very naturally. It kind of grew naturally given a, a broader circumstance. And, and now it's much more brilliantly run by, by someone called Rach and the team a very structured, without wanting to use silly terms, proper e-commerce channel, <laughs> you know. And yeah, and it's it's a great way for people to be able to connect with the brand. And of course, the biggest product we sell is beer. 
but there's loads of limited edition ones that you know might appear on the website you can't get in other channels but also people love the glassware you know as as talked about before people steal it so you can you can buy it but what's incredible i you might know, bring it back no don't bother honestly like don't bother we actually we we like some of the team we went to the pub and someone next to us at the bar she was just putting them in a bag standing next to us it's amazing i was like yeah you go it's like more Very power to brazen. you so but, but does, what, what does she still work for you no <laughs> still works for the pub um but you know, we, we can do big pieces of artwork, which actually are the campaign and people will buy them, right? Which is amazing. So it's like people will want to put our campaigns on their walls or their home bars, which is a whole kind of like, you know, thing. So it's, it's, it's amazing, but it stems from the power of the brand ultimately. And that's because it's a great product. It's got a highly impactful, very unique visual ID that relates to all kinds of wonderful things that we've seen in pop culture. And, you know, and, and those combinations give us the ability to be able to have an effective, well-working e-commerce channel that hopefully, on a good day, works with all the other channels as well. I mean, the clothing too, and it's almost like during the, the pandemic when pubs were closed and that distribution method's gone, you developed, uh, you sort of brand loyalists and customers really developed an affinity for the brand and the branding and get into all of these other options in the e-commerce channel. And you've just sort of been able to capitalize on that momentum without losing too much as you come back. Because... I know people love the clothes, people love the the you know socks. posters, the people socks. Love the socks. Yeah, it's like just put give me the interesting pint glass on my ankles, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why not? We, I thought we, you was a tattoo right there. <laughs> no, I literally was about to say it. We we have a lot of people Doesn't that get that get bit. tattoos yeah. of the brand. And I, I'm talking like you know, probably every other week, there's someone that pops up somewhere that, that has yeah. tattoos. I mean, I have pitched Tom a couple of times that we open a tattoo parlour as a PR. It lends itself well to a it's, it's, it's so far being considered. But it is like currently really under consideration. <laughs> but but I think, I think look, I mean, we, we should also commit to the show notes, right? That basically I am wearing Beavertown socks and I can see, I've, I've, I've just noticed that Tom is wearing a Beavertown t-shirt. That is... Now, I call that happy accident. <laughs> it's because I, I told you we're recording on camera. <laughs> this is this is the only T-shirt I own. Yeah. But do you remember? Do you remember the times when you basically went to a corporate gig or an event or something, and that was a branded event? It could have been Wimbledon. It could have been uh, um, a show you went to. Um, it could have been a, a sponsored picnic, whatever it was. And and generally speaking, there could have been some merch involved. You might have got a T-shirt. Now, generally, when you get that stuff, it becomes something utility. And what I think what you do with it is you bring it home, you keep in a drawer, but and wouldn't really wear unless you were doing some DIY painting, right? Pajamas. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> something like that. Flip back to now with Beaver Town. I think people actually really seek it out and wear it with pride. You know, and that's not just bar staff, but you see people at gigs, at festivals, out in parks, actually wearing with pride a beer brand's clothing. It's a pretty massive shift, right, from where we were sort of five or ten years ago. And that's, I think, because the brand appeals to people and has crept into the, the, the outside world beyond the beer glass there's in a, a way of a which culture. Is I feel like the yeah. consumers really align themselves with the brand's personality almost. I think ultimately from kind of a marketing perspective, um, I don't think and I don't want 
to take people from having a pint in a pub one day to getting a tattoo, right? That is not the aim of what we're <laughs> trying to do. That is not the ultimate, you know... PSA. Goal, right? <laughs> Very specific goal to it. Um, well, I did say to someone... your KPIs? Well, no, I did say to someone in the team, because I was, I was sort of challenging them with advocacy and loyalty and, you know, all those kind of good things. And I was like, the KPI should be how many people get a tattoo, right? As the ultimate KPI on on the kind of loyalty metrics. Now, to my point, you know, I don't expect everyone to get and they're not going to, right? I'm more than happy if people just go into a pub every now and again or, or go into, you know, Tesco or Sainsbury's or Waitrose and buy a can or cans. That is absolutely fine, right? It's not about taking everyone from being, you know, a, a, a light, you know, engager with a brand into heavy engagement. But for people that want to go deeper into the brand have a deeper narrative and a deeper relationship great brands should give you the ability to do that mm. right so that's all we're that's all we're doing you know if all you know is neck oil because it's served in a young's pub need and wicked i'm all right with that but if you want to go to our website and get into some really deep hoppy beers then yeah wicked great we, we give you the ability to do that but we're under no illusion that not everyone is going to do it right so Back to the point about, you know, unlocking the multi-channels. Those channels have depth to them and should have depth to them. You know, it's not just a, you know, vanilla collaboration. I want to ask about um, what you're measuring and what good looks like. When this is like, it's an extra channel, it's not your core product. What's, what does good look like for that? Like, what, what's your main metric of success for something that isn't the main product in itself? We are about brand growth, right, ultimately. So regardless of, of, of channel, be that, you know, the stuff we do in, in PR and wider communication channels or what we do in e-commerce, it's, it's about brand growth. Now, of course, it's logical uh, and important that people buy your product, right? So that's clearly a, a key <laughs> metric to it. Agreed on that. But that doesn't over um state itself versus that brand growth because ultimately they need to go hand in hand because you can sell loads of product and people don't like your brand or know anything about it right and vice versa so yeah other revenue streams in right so they so they are very important and of course it's supported by all the normal e-commerce metrics that you would expect to see like you know page views, bounce rates, PPC, SEO, all of the stuff that, you know, that, that you would expect. But ultimately, all of it has to ladder up to brand growth, mm -hmm. right? Because that's, that's the antithesis of what we're trying, what we're trying to do. To keep things moving along now, looking a little bit at the best practice, and I think we'll start with something that the two of you, Here Be Dragons and Beaver Town, have done together, but why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the most exciting project that the pair of you have, have worked on and how did it get people's attention? I mean, re really quickly, when Tom and I first started working together, there were, yeah, this zany approach um, to amplifying one of their, his very good TV ads, which is about um, um, people flying um, in the air because the whole proposition of the business back then was that they didn't tie you down to contracts, hence there was floating people in the air. Um, and I managed to get an idea in front of Tom um, as part of a competitive pitch process, was to, which was to, to manifest this and to bring it to life, where we actually have people flying around London. 
totally mad idea. No idea if we could do it at the time, but he loved it and sort of, sort of <laughs> gave, gave it the go ahead. And we worked out the details as we went. And, you know, fast forward sort of three months, um, we managed to put sort of three human shaped drones up in the air and flying around Canary Wharf and Big Ben and the London Eye, which you could 100% not do now. Yeah, I was going to say. Wild um, west of marketing. Back then. Fell into yeah. whose garden? Did fell we... into the Archbishop of Canterbury's yeah. garden, which was on the back of Lambeth Park and had to be retrieved. But luckily, he was a fan of the uh, spectacle. That's a headline and a half, isn't it? I know, Body right? Well, into the social media fodder as well. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was fine, but it's very... Nice it's very guy. modern. Cool guy. Um, <laughs> it's like the ultimate, can we have our ball back? Get the drone body from your churchyard. But, but then I think, look, fast forward nine years, I think a great example of how something can work across multi-channels, as we've said, particularly um, on Ecom 2, is... Something we did last year for Beavertown, which um, was around Halloween. Now, Tom will explain. He's a big fan of Halloween and always has been. Um, and I guess he was uh, someone, a brand person, who was doing activity, shall we say, or marketing activity around Halloween before most did because other brands were scared of it. Tom can illustrate on that more. But we created something called um, the, well, the Blood of the Ancient Mario was a beer produced last year to to mark the occasion of Halloween and there was a film created um, which riffed off the rhyme of the ancient mariner which is the ancient text which was Beaver Town um, and illustrated by Nick and some other very talented people to create an ad which brought to life that um, ancient text in a really compelling modern way done by Beaver Town and yeah we did loads of stuff on the back of it right Tom did all his marketing channel stuff we did the PR stuff which was experiential um, we put you know, zombified characters down London Bridge and did a photo call which got into the national newspapers. We invited media to the event. We sent them, you know, the product um, to influencers and to media as a gift box um, for them to unpack around Halloween. So it had the sort of 360 media media halo around it. Sold a hell, hell of a load of beer at the web shop, I believe, and, and sold out. So but I think that's a good example of how, you know, sort of the, the earned, the paid and the owned can come together around a calendar moment in a really compelling way. It's interesting um, when brands, specifically drinks brands, actually do try and take over holidays. For example, Coca-Cola, Christmas, Guinness, St. Patrick's Day. So maybe there's a space for Beaver Town and Halloween. If you look at the stats on Halloween, it's it's massive, right? Like it's hundreds of millions of pounds spent on that as a holiday or, or a moment in time and event. And... Part of that is going out with your friends, dressing up, having a good time. And that's where beer brands should be. That's what we do. We're additive to you having a good time with your mates at a club night or a party or bands playing or whatever. Look at the visual identity of the brand, right? We we, we like skulls, right? I was going to say, does it, is it more that the branding itself lends itself to Halloween Rather than it being like a beverage that can be enjoyed on the enjoyed on the holiday, I think it's I think it's I think it's a perfect marriage of both of those things. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately the brand really lends itself to it, and obviously there's lots of brands playing in the space, you know, um, it, within and outside of you know beer and FMCG. Um, so it's it's true from a statistical perspective, you know. So when you have to, you know, support your crazy ideas, you've got that sub- substantial evidence from a market perspective, and the brand really lends itself to it. And our audience are very open to 
content to experiences you know do big festivals and you know all types of stuff at our tap room in Tottenham and you know so, so it's just you know it's just this beautiful marriage of all of those things so you know something like Halloween and not just Halloween we don't want to just be you know pigeonholed into one thing but things like Halloween and the activation that Paul talked about is a really great way for us to like bring the brand to life right mm. and if it feels authentic to consumers it's because it is authentic right and that's much more interesting to me than trying to convince people of something it's quite a fun place to play isn't it halloween it's sort of macabre morbid at the same time sort of there's there's a really good stat which i think i've either retrofitted into being from like a harvard business school thing (laughs) or i happen to read something from harvard business school thing on the same day as reading this and just put it together so I'm going we'll to say, put citations on yeah, I'm going to say it's true, asterisk, yep. asterisk, asterisk, but in times of economic growth, vampires are more popular in popular culture because they are greedy, they feed on others and they're more self-ego orientated. In times of economic decline, so say like 2009 and the rest of it, zombies become more popular because we feel subconsciously that we are a part of almost a a herd that we have no power to be able to control the circumstances around us right and if you track that against things like tv shows like um uh walking dead etc they come out at those points. This is my afternoon now. Versus, <laughs> versus something yeah. like Interview of a Vampire or Dracula that came out in the 90s with huge, you know, huge economic growth, particularly in the States and, you know, Europe and all the rest of it. So it goes deep, guys. You know, it goes deep. And ultimately, if you can plug into those moments as a brand, that's always going to work better than just buying ads, Right. Because it's it's true, it, it relates to the culture, the right? Yeah. So, you know, so we're bang up for those types of things, in essence. We have got over the main chunk of the podcast. You can breathe, you can relax, but we've got the challenge ahead. Well, this is the toughest bit, right? This is the toughest bit. Yeah, this is this is the is bit it, that... This is where, yeah, I know. This is the time to sit up in your chair because the pressure's on here. <laughs> People take this very seriously. Do they? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, we've oh, had okay. some great. Oh, if, you don't, if you don't nail this, you will look foolish. Uh, it's like... I feel we may already look foolish. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the world-renowned resell me a pen challenge. Asterisks, asterisks. That's <laughs> about yeah. the citation, and it's all about getting mine and Joe's attention. And you have sixty seconds, and sixty seconds only. To... I don't need six seconds. Two sentences. Oh, brilliant. No extra points for that. <laughs> um, but we appreciate the effort. And you are tasked with an object that is outdated, no longer used, or has been updated in some way, and reselling it to a modern audience. And because of the great branding of Beavertown, we have selected for you Microsoft Paint. So I'll set a timer. But we don't need a timer, you said, so we're, we're all good. We can do it. We can, let's, let's do time. I can time it on... We'll see how, how far under 60 seconds you can go. <laughs> what's the, what's the quickest that anyone's ever done it in? Um, no one... Um, probably 58 seconds. Yeah, Most people, people, people struggle right. to get under. Yeah, yeah. All right. So when you are ready, is this a joint effort or Tom taking the reins? Oh, he's really taking... Tom Rainsford is taking the reins. <laughs> but as his PR person, I will redact or support mm-hmm. anything he mm-hmm. says, sure. don't worry. 
Okay, yeah, we'll be looking to you after. full Q&A. <laughs> that will be how 45 seconds are spent. Yes. Yes. MS Paint. Okay. So, Tom, when you are ready, yeah. resell me Microsoft Paint. Okay, digital crayons that's more retro than the 90s cargo trousers in Urban Outfitters. Full stop. The end. 9.27 seconds. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Under 10 seconds. A anything need redacting there? Are we... <laughs> I think there's nothing at risk. So. <laughs> what would you say? Are you, has it resold it to you? Joe? I mean, I the one thing I would question is why do I need <laughs> digital crayons? You know, I think you you talk about Urban Outfitters and you know their their change on cargo pants, which have come back into fashion. Sure, okay, I wear pants. That's something I could consider. Um, Microsoft Paint digital crayons. I'm I'm not a designer. You know, what why why do I need it? If do you know what I hate, I hate to agree with Joe, but I don't, I don't feel it's been resold. Do you not? No. What's wrong with it? <laughs> I, I, Tell us why we need to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> What's digital crayons. Who doesn't want to play? So what was the time? You, you know, got, you, you can have fifty, 50 seconds 50... more. <laughs> I might use a couple of seconds more if we, if we really wanted to go on it. Then at the heart of everything that we should do as people on Earth, play is probably one of the most important. Therefore, there is no better way to play than to creatively express yourself through digital crayons that are like cargo trousers from Urban Outfitters. <laughs> I like that a lot more. But why did you have that in person? <laughs> I like it. Everything take, you know, like I just put it out there. All feedback is good feedback, mm -hmm. you know. If that was the whole answer, I'd say it's resold, but un unfortunately... <laughs> You're going to pull up a technicality. I mean, I can't. It's not fair on the rest of the guests. I I my inbox will be hammered otherwise. <laughs> I think there's going to be an internal review at some point into the efficacy. I want of VAR. You can use your remaining Because you get VAR out here. There's no losers in this case. Everyone's a winner, right? Everyone's oh, a winner. Everyone's a winner. Everyone's a winner. You do need to lay down the gauntlet for next week's guest oh, as yes. well. So Microsoft Paint was selected. Would you two like to posit something that the next guest can try and resell an outdated product? I'm hoping you don't think of something that has already been used, but <laughs> let's see. We would never be that negligent. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, we discussed this long and hard um, and we arrived at something of monetary value, mm -hmm. um, which we're all familiar with, but that potentially we do not carry around with us anymore, any longer. And that, that thing of monetary value is, Tom? Paper money. Mm. Coins or paper money. And, and I will not accept anything around like uh, paying for parking or shopping trolleys or any of that nonsense. Good luck <laughs> to them. And I'd like it in under nine seconds. <laughs> time, time to be. Thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for being uh, this week's guest on Performance Marketing Unlocked. I hope you've enjoyed your time here today. It's wonderful. Thank you very much. What a joy. Pleasure. Thank you. Enjoyed it so much. Thanks, guys. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And please don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, leave a review, because it all means a lot to us. And if you want to get more involved with the podcast, head to our brand new LinkedIn group, Performance Marketing World, where you can ask questions, connect with the community, and network with your peers to find all about performance marketing. And if you want to find out more about the news from the performance marketing industry, look out for our new shorts where we get a behind the scenes look at the news of the week in less than 10 minutes.
and subscribe on our website, performancemarketingworld.com.